are interesting, right? I mean, dreams are fascinating. We all dream, right? In fact, if you were to talk to uh, psychologists, uh, they would say that, that all people share like 10 fairly common dreams. And think about the ones, and, and you can uh, either smirk or laugh if you've ever had the dream like uh, when you were in junior high school that you showed up for school and you were like in your underwear. Right? Anybody ever have that kind of dream or you're, you're panicked because you realize that you're like in your underwear and school has started and so you spend your day hiding, like trying to not be seen somewhere? Anybody else had the dream that uh, monsters were chasing you? Like that, that was a common dream growing up. Or, or, or that they're chasing you but you can't really run. You're trying to get somewhere like your feet weigh a thousand pounds each and you're just slow motion, right? Ever had that dream? You're, no, come on, I need, I know you've had those kind of dreams, right? Yeah. Or the dreams that you're falling. And the old thing they used to tell each other when you were like in junior high school, you know, if you ever dream you're falling and you do, that means you died. Like you scare each other with those kind of thoughts when you were younger. Uh, uh, dreams of, uh, of things like flying. Did you dream you could fly? I never dreamt I could like soar and just be gone. I had this weird dream that like I was in school and I couldn't just fly, but I could somehow just float up to the top of the ceiling and kind of moon over my way and go under doorways. And I don't know if that's because I had really strict boundaries in my life that I couldn't just soar and go off. So, so I'm sure there's some psychologist somewhere that wants to figure out why we dream the things that we dream. But we all dream. Uh, we heard about a dream uh, of Alberto's. To, uh, uh, and thanks for playing this morning. It was beautiful. Uh, and the dream to play with the king of pop. And, and that dream got altered over the years. And we've probably all experienced those things too because dreams sometimes are the things that, uh, that make us not sleep well. Like if you're a child and it's almost Christmas time, right? You have Christmas dreams, visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, right? You're, you're, you can't sleep because you're so excited about the next day and what you're going to get. And so you either can't sleep or you sleep, but you're, you're dreaming about, well, I hope I get that present I wanted. That's the dreams you have. And it's what brings excitement and energy. But sometimes dreams are things we pursue. Uh, I had a dream to play guitar for the king of pop I, my dream I, I shared a little bit last week a, a dream of mine that was kind of shattered where i was a, i had a dream of being a, a professional singer and actor had a very high tenor voice very strong voice did community theater all these kind of things growing up uh, but also played baseball and on a home plate play once at a collision as i was tagging out a guy and it knocked me out and it paralyzed a vocal cord that that changed my dream and, and my dream had to alter and it, and it became something different but we've experienced those kind of things, too, where dreams are shattered. One of the most tragic um, movie moments that I've ever witnessed and watched and seen it in, live in theater as well is from, from uh, uh, Les Miserables, the song I Dreamed a Dream. Are you familiar with the story, Dr. Hugo's story? I mean, the, the most amazing stories about grace, right? And, and in that movie, the character Fantine who had lost everything. She lost her job. She was a single mother. She had been abandoned. She devolved into a life of prostitution and she ultimately died from an illness. And in the middle of it, she sings this haunting song, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream of life gone by. And the, the dream was looking at what things should have been and what she always wanted her life to look like. But the final line of the song is just haunting. It's, but life has killed the dream I dreamed. And it's this devastating story of her life. And so dreams represent all kinds of things for us. We're going through a series looking at the, the characters that are involved around the Christmas story. And we're looking at the reality of the, the historical reality of, of God made flesh, Jesus being born. But we're also looking at the responses to God calling in their lives of various characters in the story. And what we, we've started to see already, that, that a lot of visions, a lot of dreaming, a lot of thoughts, a lot of hopes, a lot of aspirations take place in these stories. 
And we're going to look at one today that's not particularly about the birth of Jesus, but the birth of his, his cousin, John the Baptist. And we're going to be reading a passage. It's kind of the second time we would be introduced to this, these characters in the book of Luke. And, and we didn't look at the first part of the book of Luke where we first introduce ourselves to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But some of us tell you that part of the story before we get to the passage for today. So Zechariah and Elizabeth were a, a very devout family. It's that a couple that were both committed to God and they, they were obedient and they were faithful as a priest. And we would understand in this context of like a, like a local community priest. He was the, the local pastor for a, a small community, right? And the story goes that they were getting up there in years, and, and they had never had children because Sarah was barren. They, she couldn't have children. And so they had lived this life of devotion, but if we understand that culture, uh, the way that, that people were evaluated or judged or, or looked up towards usually had to do with family. Not having children was a devastating place for this family. It was economically devastating, for one thing, uh, because your, your hopes were that when you got older, you would have a family that could take care of you, but they had no one. And so they, they lived that way in their community. But it said they were both upstanding, and they were devout, and they were righteous before God. And at, at least twice a year, the group of the priesthood that um, Zechariah was part of would have gone to Jerusalem to serve at the temple, usually twice a year, uh, a week at a time. That was part of their duty to go. And they would draw lots when they were there for some or like cast dice. They would gamble to see who would do particular activities. And it said on this particular occasion, Zechariah was to go over into the temple. He was the one that would offer the incense offering. And once again, this would have been an exciting time for him, probably the only time in his entire life that he would have done this activity. Because there were many thousands of priests and, and you were chosen to do this activity. And the activity involved uh, probably the person who headed up this part of the temple would invite this priest in. He would, he would then leave and this one person would be left alone to offer this incense offering. And everyone would be outside the temple praying. And it was a very quick thing. You would light the offering, you would bow prostrate, and then you would leave pretty much immediately. And so it said on this occasion, this momentous, exciting time for Zechariah, he went in to offer the incense offering. And while he was there, the angel Gabriel appeared. The same angel we saw last week in our story when he came to Mary. And, and that would shock you to death. right? You see this angel, and the angel says, Zechariah, don't, don't be afraid. Because something amazing is about to happen. Your, your prayers have been answered. And that prayer, we assume, is that they've always wanted a child. Right? Your, your prayers have been answered. Your, your wife Elizabeth, even though she's getting pretty old, she's going to have a baby, and he goes on to tell who this baby is. He's going to be one like Elijah, who's going to announce the coming Messiah, who's, who's going to change everything, and, and your son is going to be the one that appears and tells about that one. This is the most amazing thing that could ever happen. And Zechariah's response is, yeah, are you sure about that? How can I be sure? Give, give me a sign. Give me some indication that what you say is true. And this is very different from when we looked at last week's message when the angel came to Mary. And we saw that it was okay to question God. She questioned, how can this be? How will this be? She gave a statement really of affirmation, but she wanted, wanted some, to, to know some of the details. Since I'm a virgin, right? How will this be that I'm going to have this child? Whereas, whereas Zechariah says, how can I be sure? Which is really saying, prove it. And what's interesting is you can see this, it's okay to really look at these almost humorous situations going on in Scripture, right? This dialogue with Gabriel and Zechariah. 
It's like, how can this be? My wife is really old. We're getting up there in age. We've never had children. And you're going to say this is going to happen. And Gabriel makes this, this statement. It's like, I, I stand in the presence of God and I've come here to tell you this. Almost like that's not enough for you. Okay. To prove it, here's a sign. You're, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the baby's born. And then he went away. Okay, so you imagine yourself, you're Zechariah. There are people outside the temple praying. You've gone on to, to give this, this uh, offering, this incense offering that was your duty, and usually that's a pretty quick thing. And the people are outside starting to get a little antsy, like, what's going on? Why is this taking so long? And then you come out, and you're unable to speak. And I think we're going to learn a little more from the passage for today that he was also unable to hear. All right, so he, he comes out, and people are wondering what's going on. He's trying to communicate, and it, how do, you, how do you tell people you just saw an angel, Gabriel, who told you your barren uh, senior citizen wife and you were going to have a child? How, how do you express that if you can't speak? That's a tough one. And so this is the scenario is in, and then it said he completed his, his duties there, which if he was there for a week or so, he, he still had to finish why he was there, but he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. And then he went home and somehow communicated to his wife Elizabeth what was going to happen. And we learn in today's passage that they, he communicated sometimes with writing on a, a tablet, which was probably a piece of wood that was covered with wax that you kind of etch words into. That was probably the, the, how it happened back then. So he goes home and he tells Elizabeth what's going to happen, and it says basically she was rejoicing and overjoyed, and they put themselves in seclusion for about five months. Which brings us to our passage for today, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 57. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, and they shared her joy, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he used to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. I can't help but wonder what in life, Elizabeth and Zechariah dreamed about. I mean, we know for Elizabeth, probably she dreamed about, well, what would it have been like if I had had a child? 
I mean, she was of old age and something she'd probably long for. What would that have been like? How would my life have been different? What did Zechariah dream about? Probably something similar, but also as, as a priest, as the one who, uh, for this local community, was someone who served them, who went on their behalf before God, interacted with the people, cared for the people in the community. And so he probably dreamed and thought about things like, what, what's going on with some of the people locally? What, what's this year's crop going to be like? What, what's happening in this world around us? He also, if we look at his, his hymn of praise at the end, he probably dreamed of those long-ago promised things, of what God had always set out for his people. He was a priest. He was there to remind people of who God was and what God had always promised. That was part of his role, that God would someday vindicate and care for and free his chosen people who had lived under so much oppression, sometimes because of their own doing, sometimes they were just overrun by, by bigger enemies. But at all, he held out hope and dreamed about that day when, when he could serve God without fear, as it says in this passage. That's what he longed for. That's, I'm sure, what they dreamed about. And in the middle of that circumstance, we had his interaction with the angel. And, and in his doubtingness, God gave him a sign. He was quiet and he was silent and he couldn't speak and he couldn't hear for nine, ten months. That's a long, long time. Can, can you put yourself in a position of that? Especially in our day and age. I mean, back then, obviously, there was no TV. There were no smartphones. There were no newspapers. There was no radio. There was, there was no way to get your information other than interacting with people. But then, on top of it, you're, you're unable to speak and unable to hear. You were just completely alone in your thoughts. What happens in that place? What do you dream about? What do you think about? I think in this passage, we're going to learn that he came to a lot of amazing conclusions that were brought out and spoken out when he was finally able to speak. And as we've been trying to look at these stories that surround the Christmas story, and, and we look at the amazing things of who God is and what he's accomplished, we're also trying to learn from uh, the response and examples of the people in the story. And so we ask ourselves first off, like we did last week, in this passage, what do we, what do we learn about God? All right, let's, let's start there. What are the basics we can understand? But what do we learn from God, about God, in this passage? Zechariah learned that in an amazing way. This angel came to him and said, here's what God is going to do. And, and it said he was an upright and devout man, right? A, a faithful man, somebody who, who followed the rules of God blamelessly. That was the words used. And, and in the middle of it, though, he, he didn't quite grasp what this thing was about. And so he learned a lesson the hard way, we might say. But, but he learned that God is true to his word. That what God said was going to happen, whether physically, literally for him, I won't be able to speak, and miraculously, my wife is going to have a son, I can trust what God said. So, so in the middle of that, we learn basically, and we learn it throughout Scripture, that God can be trusted. He will do what he said he is going to do. He is about what he says he's about. And that in a very concrete way, which is another thing we learn about God in this passage. His mercy expresses itself in concrete action. And we talked about this a little bit ago, a few weeks ago, in the book of John. Right? That, that God isn't just about teaching concepts and, and philosophical views of who he is. He, he concretely shows up. And, and in this case, his mercy expresses itself in concrete action. You know, you basically, when, when Zechariah is giving this hymn of praise, he says God is showing mercy. He's expressing mercy, his tender mercies. He's living out mercy. And he does that concretely, not just as some abstract idea, but it plays out in action. And, and even if we just look at this 
this hymn, how many, how many active phrases there are. It's because he has come. He has redeemed. He has raised up the power of salvation. He shows mercy. He rescues us. He's enabled us. Forgives sin. Guides our feet. That's, that's very active stuff going on. God's mercy expresses itself in concrete action. We also learn about God that the way he leads, the way he guides is an expression of character rather than raw power. And if we think about that culture in particular, uh, when people would talk about, you think of like stories of what took place in the Old Testament, right? And, and it was always this competing view of whose God is more powerful. And we serve the true God. And, and we look at God and say, he is, he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, right? He's, he's, he's everything. He created, he sustains. And we look at this idea of this power, but the way that... What we learn about God in this passage and once again throughout scriptures that God's power, his, his goodness, his leading, his mercy is expressed through his character rather than just brazen raw displays of power where, where people live in fear and cowering. Because look at the phrases. How is this expressed again? It's through tender mercy. It's through forgiveness of sins. It's through guiding people. Right? Taking along, walking with people. That's, that's the way God does things. It's through his character, not just these exhibitions of power. And that's an amazing thing to learn about God. God, God walks with us and guides us and leads us. And in fact, that's the next thing we learn. He wants to guide us in this journey of life. And he sent Jesus to show us that and to be that guide. Right? It says he... He says, you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. This was Zechariah talking to this little baby. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. The amazing character of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. And, and we understand this is a, a, a picture of who Jesus is. Of how the Messiah comes. He come, it's like the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Why? To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the path of peace. The God of the universe wants to guide us in this journey of life. Once again, it's not about he wants to exhibit such great power, raw power, exhibition of power that we cower in fear. No, it's back to what we learn in John. The, the word became flesh. God became flesh. And dwelt among us to show us the way. And we've seen this picture of light before. Here the rising sun. And sunrises are amazing. Right? Right? Sunrises start to give that sense of warmth. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. When, when it talks about the true light is coming into the world. And what does light do? Light illuminates and warms and reveals. And once again now Luke gives the same idea. The Messiah. The one that Zechariah had long waited for. The one that people in that day would have seen as a political leader. Somebody coming in to establish a new earthly kingdom, which is done politically and militarily, right? To set up this thing, and now we're in charge. And we've talked about that many times. We're in charge. And once again, the gospel writers are saying, everything that has been promised to you is about to take place. God is taking amazing action, but it doesn't come in raw power. It comes like the rising of the sun. And we've all seen sunrises. They're very different than sunsets. Sunrises really bring this sense of hope as they start to light and it gradually builds. I mean, it's this amazing thing and you have to get up early enough to see it. 
right? To experience it. But, but to say that's how God is changing everything is like the rising of the sun. And he wants to guide us. The God of the universe wants to guide us on the path of peace. I think what else we learn from God in this passage is that his desire is greater than our dreams. Once again, what do you think their dreams were? And Elizabeth dreaming of what would it have been like if I had a child that I never had? What was that like? And Zechariah's dreams of what does it mean to serve God without fear? What does it mean to be where we're free to express things and to praise God in amazing ways and have that be the way our light shines out? Uh, dreaming about that day when the Messiah would come. You know what the dreams were, but their reality absolutely makes those things pale. Not only do we have a son, but this is one that God has anointed in a special way. One like Elijah to point the way to Jesus. That's amazingly different than what I ever thought it could be. Zechariah's dream of what could life be like, what will this Messiah be like, his reality now isn't just, I get to announce the good things of God, but I'm a participant. And we have a baby. This is something beyond what they could have ever dreamed. If you had asked them many, many, many years ago, what do you think your life will be like? They would have never thought of this. God's desires for our lives are greater than our dreams. It would have been awesome to play for the King of Pop. It would have been an amazing experience. I have a friend from high school who started her own like special effects pyrotechnics company, and, and she toured with Michael Jackson, doing all the explosions and fire and light stuff. It was amazing. But, but God's plan for us is bigger because that's a cool thing in the moment, but in a life devoted to Jesus, that, that changes everything. How lives can be impacted by the Holy Spirit and about God at work is, is bigger than what I could dream about, about how much somebody enjoyed an entertainment moment. But we have to open ourselves up to say, what could those dreams look like that are different than what I dreamed? So, so we learn some things about God. He can be trusted. His, his mercy expresses itself in action. He, he leads as an expression of his character rather than just examples of raw power. He wants to guide us in the journey of life. And his desires for our lives are greater than our dreams. We, we learn those things about God. And so then we ask ourselves, what do we learn from Zechariah's example? Well, I think the first thing we learn from him is that we need to come to grips with our circumstances. Now, the challenge of looking at a passage like this and how, why it's so easy to leave it back in history is we think, well, my life isn't like Zechariah. The guy who wrote this poem, this, uh, this prophetic hymn, he lived in a very different time than I do. He, his concerns and his circumstances were way different than mine, and, and they were. But in the middle of it, he had to come to grips with his circumstances, who he was, what he was doing, what he was about, how he was wired, what his responsibilities were. He lived in this place where they, they feared and lived in trepidation of persecution under the, the oppressive regime in Rome. That was, that, well, that's not our life. He, he lived a life as a priest in a local community, and he had responsibilities that way to care for those people in, in that particular place with his particular abilities. He was in a place where they experienced a great deal of loss. They didn't have a family. He had no heir to pass on. And, and so that was his circumstance. But he had to come to grips with that and understand how God could utilize him in that place, in that time. And we each need to do that as well. How are we uniquely living in our context as an individual, as a family, as a church? What is our place in life? What is it that people are afraid of? What is it we're hopeful about? What is it we dream of? 
How am I wired? Who is God? Who am I? All those questions, living in this place of, of, of back and forth between doubt and faith and, and confidence and, and, and questioning. We live in those kind of places just like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Come to grips with our own circumstances and, and, and wonder how God is at work in those and, and who we need to be in those. Best when we stop talking. Now, I'm, I am an introvert through and through. I mean, I like getting up in front of people. I, I, I think I have a particular giftedness expressing outwardly this way in front of a group of people. But if you get me like after the service and I'm standing down there and you want to come chit-chat and small talk, because yeah. I'm an introvert. I, I process internally. I, I like to joke that when I, I speak in final form, you know, I think before I talk. And, and I look at this story and go, well, obviously Zechariah was an extrovert. Because this angel came in, right, and says, hey, don't be afraid. Here's this amazing stuff that's going to happen. Who looks at Gabriel? An extrovert does that. Right? And, and I'm not saying we, we all should be introverts because we shouldn't. I mean, what makes the world go round? We're all different. But, but we all will listen to God better and learn more when we stop talking. And that plays out in different ways for each of us. We, we need to be quiet. I'm not talking about you have to schedule an hour every day to have quiet time. That's not what this is about. This is, this is about learning to listen to God. And some of the best listening I've ever done to God has been in very busy places. It's been on some public transportation in the middle of the city, and you're just observing and listening and taking in what's around you, listening to God, and other times it's in absolute quiet. And in this case, it was probably 10 months at least nothing else but your thoughts and, and how God wants to speak in those moments. And Zechariah let himself get to that place where he listened so he could learn. We hear God best when we stop talking. I think we also learn from his examples that we should obey God even if it goes against custom. So the custom of the day is you name a child after a parent, after a relative, and in most cases after a father or a grandfather, or somebody who accomplished something great and reputable in your family. And, and the people would look and say, something amazing is going on. You, you couldn't have a child, and then you went into the temple, and, and now you can't speak, and your, your wife has given birth to this baby. That's amazing. So let's name him Zechariah Jr. And Mary goes, uh-uh-uh. Elizabeth says, no, no, he's supposed to be called John. It's like, really? Well, let's find out from Zechariah. And this is where we've learned that he probably couldn't hear either because it said they made signs to him to try to figure out. And, and, and then he asked for the tablet after they figured out all this and said his name is John. Custom, the way we always do things, the proper way to do it is we name him this. And you, you're saying something different. Zechariah learned you, you, you can go against custom. You can go against uh, the common understanding. In this case, this is a bunch of faithful people who are all religious followers. And he's going to go against their custom. Why? Because God told him something else. He says, this is what obedience looks like. And this is very, very different. We should obey God even if this doing so goes against custom because custom isn't the same as God. Even if it's church custom, we have to listen. We have to evaluate and say, how is God calling me to live in this moment? What am I learning as I'm silent and stop talking? We also learn from Zechariah that the spiritual life is not something we ever master. But it's a process in which everyone has room to grow and learn. 
I mean, right off the bat in this story, right, we have these two characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it says right at the back, they were righteous people, they were faithful people, they were committed people, they were upright people. And yet in this circumstance, in what was happening, Zechariah had a lot to learn. And he had to learn it in silence without being able to speak. And what's interesting is, is if we look at a couple of sections of this passage, right, it says, uh, you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins be- because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death, which kind of has a, a sound of other people. There are people in the dark and, and the light of Jesus needs to shine. But then he says to guide our feet into the path of peace. He, he's put himself into that category of people needing light. He only learned that in his silence for 10 months. Learning to listen. says, I have so much to learn. The more we see we have to learn, I don't know anything. There are better ways I could react. There are better things I could learn. I I, I didn't understand that about God. And and I'm wrestling with it. It doesn't make sense to me. And that, that happens after decades of following Jesus. That's because we all have something to learn. We never master it. Arrived. Yeah, you can laugh. You hardly know me. You'd really laugh if you knew me. Basically, Zechariah's gotten to a place where there is no room for spiritual arrogance. I, I had to have my mouth shut for 10 months to learn. Do we all have that kind of humility? Say, I mean, I have something to learn from everybody. God is. And who he is wanting me to be. The spiritual life is not something we ever master. And I think the last thing we learn from Zechariah is that our ultimate fulfillment comes in obeying and praising God. After all this time of silence, what did he do? He praised God. He was obedient to what Jesus, or what the angel had called him to do. Call this guy John. This is what John is going to be. And you could just see the exuberance. I, I picture Zechariah holding up this little baby and saying, and you... You are going to be this one that's going to point the way. It wasn't about you. It's about him. And you're going to point the way to that. And this is what's going to happen. Everything we've ever dreamed of, we can't even imagine what God is doing. And you get to be part of that. And we get to be part of that. Isn't that amazing? And we're so grateful. And we praise God. Not for who we are, but who he is. What I find fascinating in these stories around Christmas time is that it paints an amazing big picture. Right, this is a big picture of what's going to happen through this little baby that Zechariah is holding. What John is going to be like. And then it paints an even bigger picture about the one he's going to point to, which is Jesus. And in Gabriel's announcement to Mary that we read about last week, when he talks about who this one will be, his kingdom will never end. He is the one God promised. This changes everything. All the world is changing now because of this one. We get this amazing picture. We go, hallelujah. And at the same time, because of these characters involved, we go, the God in the middle of this big, huge, grand narrative says each of these individual people matter. And they are part of this story. And as we learned in last week's story, Jesus couldn't be born. The, the, God could not become flesh uh, unless Mary bore him in her womb. Because, because God said, for this amazing thing to happen in the world, I need you to give birth to. I need you to step inside and protect and nurture. I need you to make sure that he grows up healthy and has enough to eat and is protected. 
God said, all this big picture happens because I am engaging you and you and you and you and you and you and you in that grand story. It's amazing. And so we learn through this who God is. We said we learn from Zechariah's example and we learn that our individual stories in our little part of the world matters in the big picture. As grand as that is, my story and your story is significant to what God is doing even though we're incredibly ordinary. So I asked at the beginning, what, you know, what did they dream about? And we need to ask ourselves the question, what do we dream about? What are the things that are focused? And my challenge to you as individuals, but also as a church today, I'm going to step into my transitional interim pastor role, as SFC is still in the midst of the transition of, of that waiting before your next senior pastor comes. And I know the, the committee has met and their, their, their confidence of, of one person they're looking at, but some timing of some things are going to take a little while still. And then he can start feeling, well, I kind of feel like Zechariah. I feel like we're kind of quiet. I feel like we're having to do a lot of listening and waiting. And I want to encourage you today that that's okay. Because amazing things happen when you wait. Because if I were to sit and talk with each of you and you'd say, hey, what's your dream for the church and your dream for what your pastor will be like? You'd probably say, well, we kind of know what we want, what we're about. I want to challenge you to step back and think, maybe you don't know exactly what you're about and what you should be in the future. Maybe your dreams are kind of limited. And your dreams about who you are as a church, who you are as people, and how another pastor will lead that... Dream bigger dreams. That doesn't mean saying we want bigger numbers, we want bigger things, but dreams about how God will impact you and how he will impact this community. Be willing to say this is a great time like, listen, to be surprised. In other words, what are our dreams about? Like, like, and how do you listen? How do you stop? How do you think? How do you ponder like Zechariah did? And how do you praise God in the middle of it? This is an exciting time. It's a great time. What could that look like? And open yourself up to the surprise that only he can bring. What a glorious time of year. Christmas dreams come true. It came true for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It came true for Mary and Joseph, and they come true for us. Let's pray together.